Good evening, this is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with You Can Use Literature to Win Africa for Christ. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Last week's episode was the first part of a discussion about Christian books and Christian publishing in Africa. The discussion was sparked by Dr. Hammond's participation in a documentary being produced by Africa Speaks, a network of publishing professionals who aim to nurture the Christian publishing industry in Africa. You can find out more about them on the internet. Um, AfricaSpeaks.global is their website. In last week's episode, we covered the following topics. The importance of reading, especially for Christians. The history of Christian literature in South Africa. South African mainstream publishing versus South African Christian publishing. The influence of Christian literature in South African education. Christian books that shaped the South African mindset. Books that influenced Dr. Hammond. And the most important books ever written, according to Dr. Hammond. Today we will pick up the discussion by asking Dr. Hammond, which books would he like to see on every school curriculum? Well, as somebody who's got four children and three grandchildren, I've been deeply concerned about the content of a lot of curriculums, much of which is actually unedifying or forgettable nonsense. And uh, I'm sorry to say that even many Christian curriculums that don't have enough on Christian history from a Christian perspective a lot of Christian history books that you get from Christian publishers today seem to be the same selection as the secular humanists of people, events, and topics, and even perspectives, although they add a few scripture verses here and there. And that's not Christian history. Christian history is looking at things from a uniquely biblical point of view. So I, for example, was inspired to write books like Sketches from South African History, which is now also translated in Afrikaans, to give a whole lot of stories of some of the very powerful Christian witnesses and influences in South African history, which includes everyone from Jan van Riebeck to Paul Krug and Andrew Murray, David Livingston, through to uh, Emily Harphouse and General De Wett and uh, James Barry Herzog, uh, all the way through to uh, Delaray. And um, there's so many inspiring characters in, in our history that we'd want to look at, like George Schmidt, the first missionary who opened the first missions uh, organization uh, mission station in South Africa to Canardendal from the Moravians and uh, very few people know these stories and we should know about Andrew Murray the greatest pastor most blessed author in South Africa's history and yet many people haven't even seen his books yet and his books are read worldwide but South Africa doesn't seem to know as much about Andrew Murray to such an extent that a um, friend who was studying for the ministry at the Quick School in Stellenbosch theological faculty asked the uh, missiologist, Dr. Nico Smith, he was head of missions department at Stellenbosch Theological Seminary uh, back in the 80s, and said, Sir, why is it in seven years we haven't discussed once any of Andrew Murray's writings, not even as key to the missionary problem? Now, these are, this is the missiology professor, and he hadn't even referred to one of the greatest missionaries in South Africa's history and pastors, Andrew Murray. Well, Nico Smith's response was quite disgusting. It was, Andrew Murray was no theologian. Now, bearing in mind, Andrew Murray had his doctorate before he turned 20, that he studied in Netherlands and Scotland, that he is, um, you know, a genius and the greatest author and most blessed pastor in South Africa's history, who launched the Africa Institute, who sent out hundreds of missionaries from South Africa, who wrote more on the deeper life and revival, prayer and uh, Christian holiness than probably anyone else, and he's recognized a great authority worldwide in this, to try to dismiss a man who's, without a shadow of a doubt, um, light years ahead of uh, this missiologist, Nico Smith, who's disparaging him, absolutely scandalous, but explains why the Dutch Reform Church has gone downhill from there. When you have people like that running your missiology departments, um, then there was another theological faculty dean at Stellenbosch who made a dumb statement back in 2009 that theology has nothing to do with God, theology is everything to do with man. Well, I think he's confusing anthropology for theology. Theology, theos, um, logos, uh, theology is all about God, actually. So to have a dean of a theological seminary representing a denomination claim that theology has nothing to do with God is imbecilic. They're not even understanding the etymology of the word, theology. But um, so 
what's going wrong with our, our books and our curriculums, I think many of them are man-centered or commercially popular or what the new world order would like us to have. So we need some distinctively Christian, Bible-based, Christ-centered, edifying, uplifting, great commission-oriented books. And that's what inspired me to put together things like sketches from South African history and then Greater Century of Missions, which has got 19 biographies, 19 greatest missionaries, the 19th century missionary movement, and uh, Greater Century of Reformation with 16 biographies, the 16 reformers of the 16th century, and victorious Christians who changed the world. Now, these are small, bite-sized, well-illustrated biographies to introduce people to some great characters, like victorious Christians start with Perpetua, carries on through to Mary Slessor, and uh, you learn more about history by learning about the people, the stories, the events. And so I'd like to see a lot more um, on our curriculum that focuses on stories and history, which is going to edify and challenge individuals. So Andrew Murray materials would be great, more of his books. And uh, to see that people are learning about dedicated Christians to examples of excellence instead of some kind of mediocre socialist, humanist, character that they're trying to push on their transgender LGBTQ. Or you've got some schools which are now literally telling kids to write a spell. Um, what animal would you like to shapeshift into? And um, in reincarnation, what would you like to come back as? And then make make a spell to put a curse on someone you don't like. And uh, here's another English literature project in Transvaal and Kauteng. Uh, they were requiring students to plan a bank robbery. You know, we don't have enough bank robberies in South Africa. You know, amongst the instructions, choose your getaway vehicle, your weapons, and uh, that sort of thing. And, like, do we really want to encourage more of this? Uh, don't we have enough? Um, but um, that kind of nonsense, having uh, Rowling's Harry Potter as a Cedric book, now why would you want to have witchcraft repackaged as Cedric books in English? But this is what's happening in many... Uh, schools, so we've got to be sure that we've got thoroughly Christian textbooks and curriculums. Now, you can get some good resources. There are some great Christian publishers and curriculum providers out there, um, Abeka and um, others like that in America, Christian Liberty Press, um, Theocentric Christian Education, Accelerate Christian Education, so they've got doing a great job. So we need to go back to um, making sure that every book is God-honoring and Bible-based. You know, last week you said something striking. You said that books are minds alive. So one would uh, mm. like to see Christian minds being um, exposed to, to the children. Yes, there, there's no doubt that the philosophy of the classroom in this generation becomes the philosophy of governments in the next generation. What is the liter literary literacy level of Christians in South Africa and pastors, and how does that compare to the general public? Well, I'd, I'd say right now it's, it's pretty low compared to when I was converted. When I was converted in 1977, it seemed like every church had a bookshop uh, or book table and a library, and uh, pastors were regularly referring to books from the pulpit, recommending books. You even had sometimes book um, reports or book summaries uh, in uh, the church bulletin, and uh, it was a lot more edifying that when a lot of Bible studies would be like that too, where people would be encouraged to study this book, you know, whether it was the Calvary Road by Hessian or True Discipleship by MacDonald or something like that, a Celebration of Discipline. And these were very popular books when I was converted. And you could get together with a group of Christians and everyone seemed to have read uh, The Cross and Switchblade or um, Tortured for Christ. God smuggler, and there was a whole lot of common books that people understood. Of course, Pilgrim's Progress, almost every Christian knew that Pilgrim's Progress. Today, I think the literacy level is very low and very shallow, and I've met pastors who actually say, I haven't read a book since I left seminary, which is shocking. Um, but you do have a low level of literacy, as evidenced by the fact that it's a rare church now that's got a book table, or a track stand even, and um, it's it's not common to have Christians going to average bookshop. We used to have 650 independent Christian bookshops around South Africa. I don't even know if there's 100 now, and most of them aren't independent. Most would be part of chain stores, Lux Verbi or Kumbooks, um, as opposed to the independent bookshops of the past. So whereas we used to have a Christian bookshop in virtually every town, 
in some cases almost every suburb, now that's rare. So um, literacy levels gone way down if, if bookshops are, have gone out of business. So would you say that literacy levels are a barometer of the health of Christianity in a society? I would, I would say it is, yes. A reading Christian is a growing Christian. Uh, if you want to lead, you must read. And so it's like if you've got a lot of gymnasiums and, and sports teams that indicates people are f more physically healthy in that society, well, people would be more spiritually healthy if you had more Christian bookshops and libraries and a lot more evidence that churches are pushing good books through having a library or book tables. And um, you can also see that the level of literacy of the average pastor has gone down too. They're not quoting from as many books as they would have in the past. Now they're more likely to be quoting from a TV show or some website. What is the general reading, well, I suppose we've touched on this slightly, what is the general reading culture in the country? How would you compare that with the evangelical community? Well, I think most people have moved away from reading as much. We used to have a lot more newspapers, not that the newspapers were very high standard, but the internet is a lot less. So uh, people are now, if they're reading at all, it's more like through screens rather than hard copy books, magazines, and and um, it used to be going to the library was very common. Uh, when my children were growing up, I would take them to the library every week and we would be getting lots of books. And what bothered me is the books started, the good books started to disappear. And you saw a lot of libraries having book sales. And they were selling off all the good old books to make space for the new politically correct garbage I had to get in. So many good books suddenly disappeared from the local library, which my children enjoyed getting. And now suddenly you've got books on Bicco and Karl Marx and like, is that really what you want your kids to be reading? No. So the libraries got deteriorated too. In fact, I went to a Christian uh, second-hand bookshop and was amazed at all the great things out there. I said, where do you get all this from? This, this is treasure house. And he said, you would weep to know. So tell me. He said, we heard that uh, Cape Town Library was throwing out a lot of books and come with the biggest vehicle you've got. We went there with our bucket and we loaded off things from the dumpsters. They were throwing out hardback, good quality books, I mean, real treasures. And uh, so they loaded up whatever they could salvage and the rest went to the dumpster to be incinerated or pulped. And uh, when I went up to to Fortrecohta up in, in Pretoria, they had a big Erefinus heritage library, magnificent library. I mean, leather bound, first edition, sometimes only editions. Where do you get these? Dumpsters. Um, we were told Pretoria Library was throwing out their books, and we went down to the bucky and we picked up all that we could salvage. And I mean, these were many of them absolutely irreplaceable, great books. But Pretoria Library, doubtless ordered by some politicos, threw out absolutely valuable, precious things. Now, it's not just South African libraries are doing it. I've got books in our library here at Livingston House, which include somebody sent me a first edition. Livingston's Travels, Missionary Travels in Southern Africa by David Livingston. And inside had University of Tennessee Library stamp. And another stamp over it, discarded. And in the top corner it had in pencil $2. Now, I did a check. A first edition of David Livingston's Missionary Travels can sell on Amazon for $2,000. And here somebody tossed it out from the library and they sold it for $2. Um, now, that one person who got it got a gem, but but it's depriving the people who used to use that whole library. The whole community is being deprived of this precious resource, a classic, one of the greatest books ever written, one of the most influential books in history. And uh, they just threw it out. So you can see this is happening. This is all over the world. There's a, a war against good books. And then, of course, you get libraries burned, like we've had these thugs, the roads must fall crowd. They were burning out. They burned out the Library of University, Turban Westville. And... Uh, we had um, the City Hall in um, Bloemfontein burned out, absolutely magnificent uh, City Hall. And you've got libraries attached to many of these. We just had the, the fire in Parliament last year, and that included damage to some of the Library of Parliament. And right now there's a few thousand litres of water in the basement of Parliament because they never bothered to even put a canopy or anything over the uh, burned-out roof. So when the rainy season came... Um, tons of water came in and is now saturating the, the old Parliament building, which is worth billions of rands, and it's going to cost billions to repair, they say. But they couldn't even get a canvas canopy over the open roof. So 
when you've got people like that running the country, um, you can imagine how many libraries get destroyed. Now, universities are particularly being undermined. Some of the best books are going out. Remember, there was the burning of um, the library at University of Cape Town in that so-called wildfire, although the wildfire never came close to the actual campus itself, and uh, it didn't even get through the tree line. Nevertheless, the library in the middle of the camp campus somehow burned out from the inside. There's no... The ivy on the outside of the wall was not touched. The gutters were not uh, burned. The roof somehow, uh, well, that got burned from the inside, not from the outside. And uh, somehow some magic pine cone wafted through the air, through the closed windows, and burned up the library from the inside. If you want to believe that, I mean, that's pretty gullible. But that's the official version. And uh, so a whole lot of irreplaceable things, including absolute, um, first edition things in the University of Cape Town uh, burned up there so there's a lot of cancel culture people out there destroying whole libraries and that's a real threat to the future so the reading culture in South Africa has been undermined there's a war against libraries, a war against knowledge a war against history and uh, I would say the evangelical community is in many ways um, shallow and superficial not reading books they're reading some memes and uh, they're not even reading good Christian magazines, uh, let alone good old classic Christian books. So reading culture has gone down a lot. And I know that because we used to, at Bible studies, discuss, people would be saying, you know, reading in Hessians, the Calvary Road, and uh, Matthew Henry said this, and Andrew Murray read that, and uh, reading Watchman Nee, and you could just hear in an average Bible study fellowship, there was a lot of reading amongst the group that you'd share, and you'd hear it from the sermons of pastors, but, I mean, who today are quoting from, well, Martin Luther and John Calvin uh, said this, and when I was studying uh, what Charles Spurgeon was saying, uh, you don't get that much today. So people are only repeating what they've heard from the mass media, whether it's social media or uh, the uh, televangelists, what's on TBN and so on. And that's pretty shallow. Um, on a more positive note, do you know of any ministry with a strong emphasis on helping to grow a reading culture among Christians in South Africa? Well, when I was converted, Script Union was definitely the best. They were pushing Bible before breakfast and book tables, and it was quite common for a church to have a Script Union book table that they got from the Script Union bookshop here. And those were good evangelical uh, Bible-based uh, type of materials. I know in America there's uh, the um, uh, Chapel Library, which is superb, and they are getting a whole lot of classic books and reprinting them in inexpensive formats. A Band of Truth Trust in America and Britain, Scotland. Um, Band of Truth gets some of the most classic old books and reprints them. And so Band of Truth is always good. Uh, the Sprinkle Publications in America also gets quite a lot of old classics and has them reprinted. Uh, that's That's been a um, phenomenal blessing. Um, we certainly need more here right now, but uh, Christian Publishing in South Africa is not as strong as it once was. That's why we actually started our Christian Liberty books that we could import and and export and wholesale and retail good Christian books and classic things. So we've got a lot of old classics and pen of truth and other things here in Christian Liberty books, uh, about 6,000 titles of accounts, audiovisual as well. Uh, so uh, in South Africa, certainly Literature for Africa and Christian Liberty books are trying to promote a good Christian reading culture. Um, we need more ministries like that. Um, what are the unique features of the Christian publishing industry in South Africa compared with other nations in Africa, and what are some of the most popular authors in South Southern African history? Well, starting with the last first, some of those popular authors in South African history, well, the greatest in South African history is definitely Andrew Murray. The um, missionary to the Free State, he was the very first... Dutch for missionary to the Four Trekkers. Um, he had his doctorate before he turned 20, so when he came back to the Cape, he was too young to be allowed to be a minister in the Cape. He had to be 22 to be a minister in the Cape uh, colony, so they shipped him off to the Orange Free State because Orange Free State didn't have any Dominies at that stage. So he was a missionary to Four Trekkers for years, and when he came back and he was inducted into the Cape in 1860 on Pentecost Sunday at Wellington, revival broke out in the 1860 revival, and his writings on revival and deeper life, holiness and prayer since has become so popular. I think there's over 200 
titles written by Andrew Murray in Dutch and English, translated in many languages. They've never been out of print. For over 120 years, Andrew Murray's writings have dominated the landscape. They're the recognised worldwide as the best in terms of revival, deeper life and uh, holiness uh, that you're going to get anywhere. So Andrew Murray's the most successful read published author in South Africa's history. Uh, today, I would say probably the most popular author in South Africa at this moment is probably Angus Buchan because of his mighty men's movements and his um, Faith Like Potatoes book, which was made into a very popular film. So, uh, unfortunately, I'd say most of the popular authors in South Africa today would now be more like American foreign popular televangelist types. So you get a lot of Kenneth Hagen and uh, Francine Rivers novels or Tim LaHaye um, with the end times left behind a Pollyan assassin type of Christian fiction series. Uh, you've got everything from the Benny Hinn's to Kenneth Copeland. So a lot of name it, claim it and frame it prosperity cult uh, would be most popular in South Africa today. So South African authors aren't getting into our bookshops as much because the bookshops are actually owned by the publishers who are linked with the retailers and they all seem to work in a bit of a circle and they often have a relationship to the overseas company. So they will prefer an American name from a TV program over a local author. And you can have some very good local authors who will not be able to get a space on the shelf in these chain store controlled bookshops because they're controlled by conglomerates who are linked with publishing companies, which are linked with broadcasting companies. And if you're not part of that club, you don't get on the shelf. So uh, there's a lot of great South African authors who should be on the shelves, but they're not. And many of them aren't very well known because of this unique feature of publishing in South Africa where um, it's basically monopolized and it's a very difficult um, arena to get into unless you come from the right uh, lineage, which means you... You're on their TV programs and you are a part of their music or um, event um, publishers and only then will you actually get space on the shelves. Um, turning to discipleship material and Bible study material, um, what's the most popular used in Protestant churches here and, and how do you think, uh, so, uh, do you think um, South African church pastors are investing enough in this? There's definitely not enough investing in literature. Literature is the most cost-effective way of fulfilling the Great Commission, and it's it's far, far cheaper and far more effective than um, a televangelism or anything like that. And yet some other people want to invest in television, even though it's been proven to be probably the least efficient, most expensive medium. Literature is an inexpensive and very effective medium, and you meet a lot of people who've been converted through books and Bibles, print media, but... I've never met someone who's converted through television yet. Not saying it's not possible, but um, it's a lot rarer. So uh, right now, the discipleship material, um, I'm not sure what's the most popular now, but when I was converted, was Script Union's Daily Bread was super popular. And Daily Bread, Bible Before Breakfast, SU did great work in all the schools. Uh, Navigators is probably one of the best for America in terms of good devotional materials, discovery series. But um, we need more. In our mission, we found Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, putting feet to your faith are some of our most popular materials. At Literature of Africa stores, we've got some special Bible study packs, which are um, like Discover the Word and Explore the Word, are particularly popular from what we just read at Literature of Africa. And uh, those get to prisons and hospitals and youth groups. So... Yes, popular study materials. Historically, um, Bible uh, commentaries like Matthew Henry's have been very popular. Um, but uh, right now, I'd say that uh, there's a big opening for more discipleship material to be made available. We need to encourage more of our local pastors and evangelists to produce more. Uh, now turning to magazines, which which magazines have shaped the Christian mind of the average South African evangelical? Well, when I was converted, it was In Magazine. In Magazine was published by Youth for Christ. In Magazine was, in fact, being sold in the foyers of almost every church. Churches were um, marketing these magazines as part of their, their outreach. 
and uh, they had stands in virtually every church for in magazine, which was well organized. That went by the way after a while, and uh, uh, then in came Christian Living Today, and Christian Living Today made a big impact, and it was a very good magazine for a while, but then they got secularized, and something went wrong with the ownership and editorship, and they started to put secular pagans on the cover, like people like Brad Pitt and Nelson Mandela, and people who are not known as Christians at all. And at the time, I said, this is insane. If you don't cater to your niche market, which is evangelical Christians, if you just want to look like any other secular magazine, there's how many secular magazines on the shelves, then you're going to get swamped by the competition. You can't out-secular the seculars. And uh, it's, it's like a Christian school or Christian university that tries to be as pagan as pagan universities. Why would you send your child to a Christian university that's indistinguishable from the local secular humanist university? They've got better sports facilities. So why would you go to the Christian university unless it was distinctively Christian? And so um, Christian Living Today basically ostracized their own uh, support base, imploded their uh, advertising base. Nobody wants to advertise to them after a while. And uh, most of their books never got, magazines got sold. And they went from having a huge mailing list to a very small subscription base. But then Joy Magazine came on the market. Joy Magazine became super popular. And then Yoich, the Afrikaans version of Joy Magazine as well. So Joy and Yoich are definitely the most popular Christian magazines now. And they are in most of the supermarkets on most of the magazine shelves and make a, a great impact. And they've had some very good series. So a Joy and Yoke are without a doubt leading the market. Now, there are some others out there, lifestyle and devoted, but I don't think they can compare with the distribution of Joy and Yoke because Joy and Yoke are getting distributed by a Republican news agency, which gets into most of the magazine racks in um, stores around the country. Which are the most readily available and popular Christian books to most Christians? Well, um, that's a question because right now it would seem the most readily available would be the Name It, Claim It, Frame It, Prosperity Cult, um, Health and Wealth Gospel, Televangelist Types from uh, America, the uh, the heretics basically. I mean the, the Joyce Myers and so on are super available and uh, end times, date setting, fanaticism, rapture fever publications, very popular, speak into existence, word of faith movements. They might be the most popular and readily available, but they're not the healthiest or the most Bible-based or evangelically sound. So the most readily available, sadly, are not necessarily the ones that you want. I think it's comparable to junk food in the shops versus healthy food. It's more readily available to get junk food, but um, that's not the best for your health. So you need to do a bit more digging to get um, organically grown food and healthy things that aren't pumped full of hormones. Well, it would be the same in the publishing industry. Just because popular and readily available does not mean that that's the best choice for you. Where do people generally go when they're looking to buy a Christian magazine? Well, these days you can go into the average supermarket. I mean, whether you're talking about pick and pay or checkers, you can literally get in an average secular shop some Christian magazines on the shelf. Uh, the local spa, it's not difficult. Um, most of them are available. Well, I noticed that Woolworths, which is a popular shop, doesn't seem to have any Christian magazines on their magazine racks. And I think people should be complaining about that. Why not? Um, why is it so many Christians support the shop and yet that shop seems to have an anti-Christian bias that the management even publicly made the statement they won't stock Christian magazines and they haven't. Even though they got a lot of protests at the time, they continue to not stock Christian magazines since. And uh, I think they should be held to account and challenged about that. How is the book distribution system built? How can a book or magazine be available in all provinces? Well, uh, in this country, we've we've got a system that's perhaps unhealthy. Uh, we've got stroke publishers and stroke Christian books, which are owned and controlled by Republican Press, which control Republican news agency and uh, most of the bookshops like the CNAs. So that's not particularly helpful when you've got such a monopoly on across so many levels. So that has destroyed the independent bookshops and independent distribution because you've got to be part of the Republican news agency for distribution to all the bookshops and that's that's not available to most people most people are outside of that network so it's um, it's not healthy 
Uh, if you want a magazine to be available in all provinces of South Africa, probably the best thing you can do is drive to all the provinces, which is what we often do. Um, we've gone around the country on our speaking tours, and um, so our materials are all over the place, but not because of any commercial network. It's just by hard work and ministering in different churches and schools and having public meetings in all the provinces. Uh, we need more independent bookshops. Unfortunately, chain stores are, the, are now the way of the future. And you can see, especially during the lockdown lunacy, you noticed how they didn't close down the big mega hyper stores and macros. They closed down the small little ones and they let the biggest stay open. So big business and big government and big pharma and big tech work together to crush the middleman and the little guy. And sadly right now, I think, Independence Christian bookshops have gone bankrupt, mostly around the country, and now all you've got is these chain stores which are controlled by publishing groups which have their own agenda. Um, just take, for example, how you can, if you've got some gospel spiel, some um, gospel music event, they can fill a stadium, thousands of people, to come to some so-called Christian music festival. But if you want to organize a prayer meeting or an outreach or a march for life or something like that, you're going to be lucky to get a couple hundred there. And so it does show a superficiality that's come in the media and many churches, and sadly, it trickles down to average Christian on the ground too. Do me mainstream bookshops cater to the Christian market, or do the Christians have to go to specialist bookshops? Well, because of uh, the success of The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film, and so on, there have been... Um, more and more secular groups recognizing all oh, the Christian market must be catered for. So you can go into a secular shop where you're talking about exclusive books, which is mostly pagan with lots of magical and Harry Potter and so on, but they'll have a, a religious section and they'll have some Christian books. They'll even have some Bibles there, overpriced, mind you, but still. Um, so the average shop, the average stationery shop, bookshop um, and store will cater for Christians. They'll have a few token Christian magazines or few token Christian books available, maybe even Bibles. But um, that does mean that we can go to exclusive books and say, I'd like you to please um, order for me and you can give them. We've gotten quite a few of our books that we've published, even The Pink Agenda, which was actually banned by the government um, for exposing sexual revolution and the ruin of the family in South Africa. That we sold most of us through exclusive bookshops. They were contacting us to get the books because the demand of their customers. So a person can go to exclusive books and say, I would like to have Great Essential Missions, for example, and, and they will find us and they will order directly from us so that they can put on their shelf, getting a good discount from us too because they're booksellers. Uh, they get the trade discount. So um, interestingly, you can go to any bookshop that you tend to support and ask them to source a particular Christian book if you want and they must do it and they normally will want to because they want you using the shop they they don't want you learning how to order direct Who are the top Christian authors in South Africa at the moment? Are they key? Are they also key leaders? Generally so you'd probably find some mega church leader he can produce a book which does, members of his church will feel obligated to buy and get because he's there or it might be a lecturer at a university and he can uh, easily, you know, you just make a, your book a textbook and the students have to buy it. And so that's how a lot of these things get done. Um, maybe the person's a, a popular pastor and he's going to be a conference speaker. So next thing he can just have these books go to where his conferences and he's got a guaranteed marketing strategy and a certain amount of audience. So whether it's a popular lecturer or head of a denomination or lead of a mega church, they tend to be fairly much the best sellers. But I, I think that sometimes it's a bit of a scam what they call a bestseller. It's been proven already. Some of these bestseller categories have been created by the authors or their agents buying up a large amount on the opening day in order to artificially create a uh, sense of it's a bestseller. Then, of course, they resell them, but um, they've often artificially manipulated the statistic to make it look like they sold so much on opening day. It might have been that their agent actually did the, the buying of them all. What? How is a bestseller defined in South Africa? Well, yes, that's a good question. So we've asked them, and basically it happens that the bestseller is decided by 
a few selected stores. So somebody say at the Star or the Daily Mail in Gauteng contacts five exclusive bookshops around the country, maybe one in Cape Town, one in Durban, a couple in Pretoria and Joburg, and they find out what their bestsellers were. Now, that's exclusive books, which is a specific secular store, so it's not balanced. Um, I've asked these bestseller people before, how is it possible that you never have a Christian book on a bestselling list? And yet we know that millions of James Dobson books have been sold, for example, millions. Um, and, uh, you know, like um, um, Bring Up Boys, Bring Up Girls, and um, Straight Talk uh, uh, to, to Men, and... Um, um, what are some of the other great James Dobson books about uh, uh, love must be tough and dare to discipline? I mean, these have sold millions of copies, but they never get in the bestseller list anyway. So you ask, and these people say, well, we determine our bestseller list by what's sold in these selected bookshops, and we don't put Christian ones on because that wouldn't be fair. Why wouldn't it be fair? Because they always lead the market. So the, the bestsellers would always be, for example, the bestseller would always be the Bible. So that's not fair because the rest of our books don't get a chain. So well, why don't you say bestseller list exempting the Bible in an asterisk or something, with the exception of the Bible, which is always the bestseller. Um, and uh, but they don't do that because that would give acknowledgement to the Bible. So when they made dumb comments like uh, the shack is the pilgrim's progress of our time, and the shack is as trashy as as the title suggests. Now considering pilgrim's progress is the best-selling book of all time in English literature. Um, how can you compare some stupid fad made? I mean, it was just a, a marketing strategy. Compare it with the best-selling book of all time. The shack didn't deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as Pilgrim's Progress. But anyway, um, you then had people saying that uh, J.K. Rowling had now outsold the Bible and Harry Potter was more popular than the Bible. Not in its best year. The Bible has sold more than 3 billion copies in the last century. And who's going to beat that? But uh, considering every year you've got tens of millions of Bibles being sold, it's just not possible to outsell a Bible. But um, you've got people trying to claim like the Spice Girls were more popular than the Beatles and um, Harry Potter's more popular than the Bible. And uh, who was there was some idiot who claims he's more popular than Jesus. Um, was John Lennon one of these characters? And uh, that's just so arrogant and and self-deceiving. But yes, so I think a lot of bestsellers are actually um, mutual back-scratching marketing scams, just like the uh, um, Oscars. The Oscars are a group of billionaires in Hollywood uh, swapping gold statues. This year, I'll give you a best uh, gold statue. Next year, you give me a gold statue. And so it's basically, it's the industry rewarding themselves and normally promoting the least worthy films, that, but they've got a political statement to make. And if it's pushing LGBTQ transgenderism or something like that, then that's bound to get some gold statue and they will promote it even if it's worthless. And people have noticed recently, why is it that recent Oscars are giving awards to films that nobody's heard of and nobody's seen? And that's the way it's moved. It used to be films that everyone saw and supported, you know, like... Uh, Ben-Hur and so on, Ten Commands, and then moved to something that made a political statement or was fashionable. And uh, right now it's like a total marketing ploy. Hollywood wants you to see this particular uh, sick piece of perversion that's promoting the latest fad they think is great, and therefore they'll give an award to create people's interest, hoping that some people go out of curiosity to see this film. But people are onto this now, and so you're not even likely to do that. Um, now I know if it gets an Oscar, then it's the sort of film you want to avoid. And that's the exact opposite of what they're planning for. But that's where bestsellers have gone. So I think a lot of bestsellers are massaged, manipulated, and it's been found to be absolutely fraudulent. Do you think digital culture has any pros or is it only, does it only have cons? Has it had a seriously damaging effect on reading habits? I think there's no doubt that reading hard copy books is better um, better in many ways. And nevertheless, we're happy for the e-books and the digital marketplace too because it is reaching people that's hard to reach otherwise. And digital libraries, we've invested in digital libraries to deliver into restricted access areas like the Muslim Middle East where the Bible would be illegal and to make it easier to smuggle Bibles. 
buy a little SD card, for example, into Red China, North Korea. I mean, there, there are some pros to the digital culture, for sure. But if you make a choice between reading on a Kindle or reading a hard copy book, reading a hard copy book is better. And it's probably better for your eyes as well. Um, but I think the reading habits, the problem is if a person's reading something, stay on their phone. The danger is, you know, bing, something else, distraction. You've got endless distraction mess. If you just got a book, you've got less likelihood of problem. And similarly, you don't need to worry about Wi-Fi and power failure, load shedding, scheduled blackouts, um, interfering with your reading. Uh, if you've got a candle, you can still read. But if your digital devices depends on the internet, well, power failure goes out, Eskom's just killed your, your plan of what are you doing. So the distractions that come on a digital device is huge. So I would, I would say um, getting people into hard copy books is better than getting them into digital literacy. Just like if you've got to choose what's better, to hike a mountain or to do a virtual PT session on your computer. And uh, it's obviously better to actually get out there and walk in the forest and climb a mountain than to watch a video of it or to do some virtual simulation. You're not going to get the same benefits out of an obstacle course on a video game as opposed to doing a real obstacle course and so on. So, yes, I wouldn't rule out digital culture. It's got its place, especially with the persecuted church and ministering in areas where the Bible is illegal. But when we've got a choice, I'd always choose a hard copy. Um, for the digital junkies, are there any Christian websites or magazines that you would recommend on the Internet? Well, yes, um, there are a lot of good ones. And, for example, Joy has got Joy Digital. And I know there's other magazines only available digitally, like Devoted, which is a good new Christian magazine in South Africa. Um, we have our frontline mission, SA.org web. We, we have a lot of our newsletters, both Christian Action Frontline Fellowship News, available online that you can read online. Um, I know uh, Chapel Library has got a lot of great Christian classic books available online. Band of Truth always has great books there. You can go on All Nations Gospel Publishers and they have the Heart of Man books now available digitally. Heart of Man, many different languages. Uh, you can get the Bible now online in about 3,000 different languages, which is phenomenal. So uh, there are some good sites you can go to. And if you just go on the frontline missionessay.org website, we've got a link to digital evangelism resource, which includes books, audiovisual, um, sermon audios, and so on. Um, there's some very good audiovisual things available online, and we've got links on our website, including about 70 different tracks that we've produced and a lot of PDF books that are free. They can download uh, just through our website. What can Christians do to promote a reading culture in their home, school, and congregation? Well, the first thing is build bookshelves, have libraries. There's no such thing as too many books. It's just too few bookshelves. We need more bookshelves. And so um, have, putting in a bookshelf and library in your school, in your classroom, in your home, uh, in your congregation, having a, a lending library, having a book table, that immediately promotes a reading culture. And uh, recommending certain books in the pulpit, maybe even having someone do a book review. So I know, for example, Back to the Bible Mission will have a different student each day giving a different book review. So they'll come up and report, I read this book and this is what I got out of it, and summarize the book and hopefully whet people's appetite. And I think that's very helpful. There are um, Bible study groups where you might say, okay, um, each week if somebody could you know, give a bit of a review on some book they're reading. You might even give a list of books and separate out amongst folks and say, okay, you're going to say review um, this book on Andrew Murray uh, with Christ the School of Prayer. You'll do Abide with Christ. and You can go and look at the Calvary Road by Hessian. And so we divide up a whole lot of books amongst our group and then they will imbibe it and give a summary to everyone else to benefit from. That's helpful. I, on some of my radio programs, actually... Uh, take a book and summarize the book that I've just been studying. I've just been doing on Andrew Carrington Hitchcock, a series of Stephen Mitford Goodson's books. So he wrote on the history of central banking and enslavements of mankind, which I think is one of the most important books ever written. And to understand the banking scam and uh, uh, economics today, that book is the most helpful I've ever come across. And just recently I've been doing his book on Hendrik Wood, the most popular successful president in South Africa's history. He got us to a place where South Africa owed nothing. We were debt-free and we were having an 8% per annum growth rate. He electrified the country, got us 
energy independent, hydroelectric plants and all sorts of great things, and uh, increased uh, literacy in the country dramatically, improved education, planted vast amounts of schools and uh, black communities, raised the education level very highly. And uh, so to know why was Henry Cavett assassinated, what do you achieve? Very useful. Um, I've taken some great books in history that have influenced me, like Pat Buchanan's The Unnecessary War, How Britain Lost the Empire and the West Lost the World, or Freedom Betrayed by uh, President Herbert Hoover, and summarised the book and given it as presentations at the Reformation Society on the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock radio programme to try and encourage others to know more about the book. I think that's something we can do. Um, recommend books we know. If you're on social media promoting the books, encouraging it. Uh, when I went to the army, I actually took a book table there and I spread out books on my trunk or bed and I would sell books uh, while I was in, in the army. And during my two years, I, I sold over 650 books, which when you bear in mind that a book at, in the 1970s the average price of a payback book was 50 cents. An average price of a hardback book was two rand. An average price for a Bible was two rand. So um, I managed to sell a lot of Bibles and books during my uh, two years then. It was it reached a lot of people. Um, I think there's a lot you can do to promote good books. Operation Mobilization is probably the best worldwide. They've got these big floating sh bookshops, these ships, uh, the Dulos, uh, the Logos, Hope, and... Um, going from port to port, especially in the Middle East and Asian countries, and encouraging people to come onto this phenomenal selection of books. It's not only Christian books, a lot of educational books too, but they, through the Send the Light Trust STL, they are marketing a lot of books and many books they even made available as bookazines, which is printing books, a full book, in a magazine format with cheap uh, paper like newspaper type book row. And it's easily, you know, it's stapled, so it's not it's not a sta uh, not a properly bound book, but it's it's cheap and easy to distribute and inexpensive to buy, but uh, it's still got the full contents of that book. So, send the lights become quite creative and innovative. How to get good books in the hands of a lot of people? Our chapel library, of course, trying that and posting these um, reprints uh, through the mail to people all over the world, especially in third world countries to encourage them to read great classics of the past. Oh, Dr. Hammond, we always close off with a list of resources. So where can Christians obtain good Christian books and um, what other resources can you recommend? Well, um, the bookshop we set up, Christian Liberty Books in Cape Town, has got a lot of books available online, www.christianlibertybooks.co.za. Um, and these are books we've published, over 100 titles, books we've imported from all over the world mostly home education books, Christian school textbooks, but also missions to the persecuted church, uh, restricted access areas, Muslim evangelism, a lot of great reform teachings. So Christian Liberty Books is one source, and you can see a lot on the website too. Literature of Africa is our free ministry where we distribute tons, as in about 100 tons a year free, all over the world of Bibles, New Testaments, Gospels, booklets, tracts, library books, libraries for pastors, textbooks to teachers. So Literature of Africa will distribute free to people who come to our stores. They can make an appointment, come through here and load up. And we've got people loading up their bicycle, their motorbike, their scooter, their um, boots of their car, their bucky, or coming with a truck. Not just a four- and six-ton truck, but we've had people with eight-ton trucks. We've had people coming with a long flatbed, and we've prepared pallets and hired a pallet jack for the day. Or, and uh, Not a pallet jack, a, a forklift. And then we've loaded sometimes 28 tons or 28 pallets onto a single vehicle to go up to Zambia. So uh, literature of will supply with tons of gospel literature free, literally tons. Um, that's a great resource. Online, uh, you will find All Nations Gospel Publishers, they're based in Pretoria. They've got the heart of man in many different languages, which is really great, including in poster format. All Nations Gospel Publishers, excellent. Chapel Library, based in Florida and America. They've got a lot of great Christian classics, both tracks and booklets. Navigators, based in Colorado. Um, Carver in Harare, that's Christian Audiovisual Association. It's a ministry of Dutch Form Church, based in Harare in Zimbabwe. Um, Scripture Gift Mission, 
is very helpful as well, gospel booklets. World Missionary Press Gospel Booklets um, provides vast amount of gospel booklets worldwide. We're their distributors in South Africa, but you can order from them wherever you are in the world. And they've got five kilogram boxes with um, 500 gospel booklets in each box, and each is 50 pages, all scripture, on a whole range of subjects. Very well worth uh, obtaining. So World Missionary Press Gospel Booklets will provide you with huge amounts of spiritual ammunition to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, those are some great resources. If you go online to our livingstonfellowship.co.za website, you'll get lots of sermons, Bible studies, summaries of every book in the Bible, audio and hard copy, and tracks, about 70 different tracks, including in a variety of languages that you can download absolutely free, livingstonfellowship.co.za website. We've been putting more and more things on our William Carey Bible Institute website, which is primarily set up to help persecute churches in restricted access countries. But you can benefit from it even if you're not in the Middle East. So William Carey Bible Institute, you'll find a whole range of subjects, everything from Old Testament, New Testament missions, Great Commission, uh, through evangelism, apologetics, Muslim evangelism, a whole range of things, that biblical worldview that will help. So William Carey Bible Institute's got books, manuals, lecture notes, links, videos, audios, um, PowerPoints, a whole range of things that can help with some of the finest experts in the world that have donated their resources for us to make available. Thank you, Dr. Hammond. I think you've inspired all your listeners to increase their reading time and further promote a culture of reading to swim against the secular culture. Um, I think this is summed up in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Thank you very much for joining us for, from the front line. God bless and good night.